0: You're now listening to the SPLX Podcast. Every week, we'll have the latest news and interviews with SPLX athletes and special guests. This is the SPLX Podcast, and now your host, Brian Fritz, with the latest.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SPLX Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Fritz, and let's get to this week's news. Rey Mysterio is set to compete during the finals of New Japan's G1 Climax 28. His opponent is yet to be announced. The show will take place on Sunday, August 12th in Tokyo, Japan. Speaking of the G1 Climax, Zack Sabre Jr. has had three bouts as of this recording against Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, and Yano, but has only picked up points against Yano. Sabre Jr. will look to score a win against the IWGP heavyweight champion Kenny Omega in upcoming B-block competition, plus he has upcoming bouts with Tamatonga, Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroki Goto, and Juice Robinson. Talking of Zack Sabre Jr., it was announced that he will be unable to compete at Progress's Wembley Arena event this September due to his New Japan commitments. He commented on the subject saying, quote, gutted to announce that I'll be unable to appear at Wembley due to New Japan pro wrestling commitments. I'm very proud to have been with Progress since day one and wish everyone a huge success on such a monumental show for British wrestling. Apologies to everyone, and I'll claim my title match ASAP. Jeff Cobb made his Ring of Honor debut last weekend in Atlanta at the company's TV tapings. Jeff made his mark by attacking ROH top prospect tournament participants. He also returned to New Japan competition at the G1 Special in San Francisco in an impressive outing against Hiroki Goto for the Never Openweight Championship. During the break from the podcast, we added a new member in Millie McKenzie. This is what she had to say on joining Team SPLX.
0: I'm really happy to be a part of Team Suplex. It's really cool for me to be on the same team as people I've looked up to, like Zack Sabre Jr and Rey Mysterio. Everyone in the team has been so welcoming. Matt Riddle, Jeff Cobb, Helico, and everyone else have all made me feel at home. I feel really privileged to be the third female athlete to join Team Suplex. First of all, there was Gail Kim and then there was Chelsea Green. And I just feel really special to be in this position. And the team atmosphere is just everything I wanted it to be and more.
1: Matt Riddle is set to face PCO at Joey Janela's Lost in New York event on August seventeenth. Dave Mastiff came up short against Joe Coffey at the WWE UK Championship Tournament. Buddy is set to appear at the WWE NXT UK tapings this weekend in Cambridge, UK. And Helico and Jeff Cobb are set to be a part of ICW's Shug's House Party in Glasgow, Scotland. That's all for the latest news for this week. Now let's get to our interview with special guest MVP.
0: So you became a wrestler when you were 27. Um, but before that, you spent quite a few years in prison. Can you tell us why? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, actually, I started training when I was 27, right when I got out of prison. I wouldn't say I became a wrestler, you know, for a while after that. But the... Uh, man, it you got to go back a little bit before my actual offense did, that led me to prison. Yeah, I grew up in Miami, and I, I was a mischievous teenager. You know, 14, I was into graffiti and, you know, just had a little crew. And then that crew, that graffiti crew, ended up becoming part of a, a, a large gang in Miami. And one, you know, the fist fighting and, you know, bats and whatnot, you know, gave way to guns. and. Uh, my friend Lewis Brooklyn, uh, he taught me how to steal cars, and then the Grand Theft Auto literally, the, the video game Grand Theft Auto. Was, you were the inspiration, I, 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 dude. I actually lived in a place called Liberty City. I'm not there's a part of Miami <laughs> called Liberty City. Um, no, like that video game, I remember playing it and being like, dude, I, I did this for real, you know, it's, it's, it's insane. And now, as an adult, looking back. At the things I was doing at such a young age, you know, it's kind of frightening. You know, now, now that I'm a father, it really makes me think about, you know, uh, the decisions I made and the things that led to them. By the time I was 15, you know, I was a, a notorious gang member in Miami, you know, committing armed robberies, and uh, I ended up getting locked up for about six and a half months for armed robbery, strong arm robbery. Uh, attempted murder It was dropped to uh, aggravated assault, grand theft auto, resisting arrest. It was like a, I was on a literal crime spree. And uh, I beat going to prison that time because I was sent to a level five juvenile detention program, like way out in the middle of the woods somewhere. You know, it's a real crazy deal. Uh, I got out and I had every intention of doing everything the right way. And then my best friend and fellow gang member uh, Dustin Giglio, D. He was shot and killed by a rival gang. And that really threw me off. And um, I remember I was supposed to have been set up with a job uh, at a dive shop because the, uh, I got certified to be a scuba diver and I said it was really fun. And um, when the dive shop found out what I had been to, to the juvenile program for, they're like, well, that's a little too serious for us. And so everything just kind of fell apart. My reintegration into society kind of fell apart. And I was looking for one more score. I just wanted one big score at 15, turning 16, to uh, just to kind of set me up. And I put the word out to a few people that I knew that used to used to hustle. I was looking for, for some. And um, this guy that I was friends with told me, "Hey, look, I got something, and it's really big. Um, let me lay this on you. Tell me what you think. I said, what you got?" He said, "Well." I got an armed robbery. Now, <clears throat> at 15, like, I had robbed grocery stores. I had robbed a few banks. I mean, it was it's so easy to do, you know? And uh, this was a major heist. And when he, when he laid it all out for me, I thought about it. I'm like, dude, you're fucking nuts. You want to rob a casino on a cruise ship? <laughs> like, that's modern-day piracy. <laughs> I think you can still get I think they still hang you for that, you know? Um, so I, I I was introduced to the guy who's the, the ringleader who kind of put it together. And we sat down, we had a talk. He had no experience in robbery. I did. He had a, a pretty good plan. So I actually went on the cruise. It was one of those cruise to nowhere where you just go out in Florida and uh, Port Everglade cruise ships, they cruise three miles out to the coast where it's legal to gamble. You can gamble and have fun and then they come back in. And um, so I went on the cruise and, you know, scoped it out and checked out the plan. And we sat back down and we figured out, okay, if we tweak this and we tweak that, you know, this can be done. And uh, so a very long answer to your question, uh i was sentenced to 18 and a half years plus a mandatory three for the sawed off shotgun <laughs> before <laughs> robbing a casino on board a cruise ship and it was all a very elaborate thing it was like oceans 11 you know What well, what was it like just going on the cruise ship did you have any reservations as you got on or were you like just this is my job i'm going to do it well i had reservations when i first went on to scope out the, the job to see if it was done you know if it was doable rather. right and you know, once I you know went through the cruise ship and I saw the plan that he laid out and we discussed it and we you know kind of fine tuned it. When it was time to go, there were no reservations. I was already committed. Uh, as a matter of fact, we actually uh, uh, we actually uh, abandoned the uh, the robbery at one point because we went out one night and for whatever it was an off night. There weren't a lot of people on the cruise and we were like, nah, not tonight. So we came back and we we're like, yeah, tonight's tonight. It's is popping tonight. And. Uh, <clears throat> It was funny because there were only supposed to be, like, three people in the casino. Because the guy who helped set this whole thing up used to be a security guard on the ship. So he knew the inner workings. And usually it's just the casino manager, a couple workers, one security guard. And, they you know, count up the money for the night. But this particular night, for whatever reason, like, a bunch of people were hanging out. So when we went to actually execute the robbery... Um, we there were nine people hanging out in the casino. There were only supposed to be two or three. But so I, I ended up being charged with one count of armed robbery and ten counts of armed kidnapping. Because in the state of Florida, if you hold someone against their will to facilitate a robbery, that's considered kidnapping. So when people hear MVP you went to prison for kidnapping, they think, you know, I held somebody for ransom right. or something, but no, I just locked all these people in a closet to get away with the money. And uh, we got away. We got away, but one of my co-defendants, the uh, the guy that used to be a friend, his dad found him with a shoe. We made, we made away with uh, about a hundred grand cash and this wow. jackass left 80 grand. It was his <laughs> responsibility to corral the money and my responsibility to corral the people. He left money. Um, yeah, his father found him with a shoebox full of money. It like. Fuck you get this, you know? And uh he told his dad what happened. His dad took out a second mortgage on the house to get him a top tier wow. defense attorney. And uh as you guys see over here, he turned grass, you know, and he, he didn't get any time for his testimony because the uh the FBI and I'm lucky I didn't get a federal case. It could have been federal and I would have been in federal prison for forever, you know, probably. But um they were looking for like professional mob-connected guys out of New Jersey because, you know, I didn't give all the details, but it was a pretty elaborate score to, right. to rob a casino on a cruise ship and get away. And nobody involved was over 21. So, you know, the wow. feds had no fucking clue. I was 16. The guy who uh, set it all up, he was 20 at the time. The other guy who who grasped everybody, he was fifth, 16. We're about the same age. Uh, so... After spending a year in, the, and then I turned myself in, because as luck would have it, my father was in law enforcement.
1: So. <laughs>
0: of course. They, uh, you know, my my buddies, because I had ended up quitting the gang, and I'm like, look, man, if we're gonna do this shit, let's fucking get paid to do it. You know, this fucking fighting for hand signs and colors and all that's fucking pointless. If we're gonna do this violent shit, let's get paid. So I ended up quitting the gang, and uh, a few of the boys took that to heart. And they broke in my house, and you know they knew that I had come into some big money. They didn't know, and they knew I used to rob, but they didn't know the, the details. And uh, I remember, my mom came and got me from school. I was like, "Your fucking friends broke in the house!" I, you know, and they caught them. You know, so I get home and I see two of my, my boys in the backseat of squad cars in my yard. Wow. And uh, they didn't find the money I had stashed, though. But the cops found guns that I had in the house. I'm like, nah, those are their guns. I know those are my <laughs> guns. And uh, my father had taken my brother to the school that day for something. My father didn't live with us, and uh, he shows up to the house. And you know, my mom, she's just a, a, a wreck. She's going off. She's having a fit. And uh, my father and I were standing on the porch. And I, I'll never forget. It was the first time. My father and I smoked a cigarette together. He used to smoke cools. And he handed me a cigarette, sparked one up, and he says, So uh, is there anything that these guys can uh can tie you to? You guys do anything? I'm like, well, uh you uh saw that cruise ship that got robbed in Fort Lauderdale last <laughs> week, and I'll never forget my father cool as hell took a drag on his cigarette and went, That was you? I said, Yeah. He exhaled, took another drag and went, you got some balls on you, kid. <laughs> so pack a bag, let's get out of here. So, for a few days, my father helped me, who was a law enforcement. Yeah. You know, he helped me uh, helped me hide out for a bit. And I, I let, let everybody think that I was going to New York, but I flexed to LA because my plan was to go to Mexico and just disappear forever. But uh, my father, again, was my conduit. And uh, he talked me into turning myself in. And at the time I was 16, I didn't know I was facing 10 counts of armed kidnapping. Right. I wasn't, you know, I was ignorant of the law. I thought I had an armed robbery case. So, worst case scenario, at the time in Florida, they had something called a youthful offender sentence, which mm-hmm. was four years prison time, two years probation. And if you qualified for boot camp, you could be out in 18 months. And I knew guys that had actually been through that. So I thought, ah, you know. Go to gladiator school, fight a lot, you know, bullshit. But yeah. I, I can be home in less than Sounds two quite positive, actually. Yeah, you <laughs> know, so, okay. Except when I turned myself in and I got back, I'll never forget I was sitting in the back of the squad car. And, man, I was cocky as fuck. And you know, I'm like, man, I've never begged for anything in my life. I'm not going to beg now. Fuck you. And i like, okay, okay, kid, well, let's just say if you did that robbery, you're facing 10 counts of armed kidnapping and one count of armed robbery, which means you're going to go to prison for the rest of your life. Like, trying to bluff me. Hey, hey, I'm that that i pfft No fucking kidnap. I ain't kidnap anybody. But, you know, once I got an attorney and once, you know, shit got real and I realized, like, fuck. So I refused to make a statement. And I said, all right, you fucking take me to jail, man. You know, and they, they took me to the juvenile detention center in Broward County. I sat there for 30 days. And then I got... Uh, back in Florida at the time, what they called direct file. When you're a juvenile, and you're, uh, you've committed a serious enough offense, mm-hmm. they send you over to be tried as an adult. So you're kept in a juvenile section of the jail, and you're sent to a juvenile prison, but you're being sentenced as an adult. So after uh, spending a year in the, the county jail, I finally accepted a, a guilty plea. Um, I never made a statement, so they, you know, some of my other, everybody else, as a matter of fact, it's funny, a little detail I remember, they grasped, they, the, the detectives knew what color boxer shorts I had on, like, they, these wow. guys, and I said beforehand, I said, look, if we get caught, they're going to use every trick in the book, they're going to say, you're telling on me, and I'm telling on, don't say anything, don't say a word. don't say a word just wait we'll get attorneys we got the shit worked out but they were so shook that you know i was the only one in the case that didn't make a statement so they said oh you want to be a tough guy we'll make an example out of you (laughs) so um you know after spending a year in the county jail i ended up uh making a plea agreement a plea deal i pled guilty uh to an 18 and a half year sentence with three years for the sawed off shotgun and uh i served nine and a half of that sentence, and then got out. Uh, but, but back then they called it game time. Most people call it good behavior, you know. But, mm-hmm. So I did just shy of 10 years on that, that sentence. And uh, that's why I went to prison.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you became a changed man while you were in prison.
0: Yeah, when, uh, when I got to work release, um, and work release in, in the state of Florida, it's basically when you're down to your last two years of a pri- you know, you can uh, request to be uh, sent to work release and if you meet the requirements and you know, you've behaved. Work release is a facility where you're still a prisoner, but you get to wear your own clothes and you go out to work every day and you come back to the facility and uh, they take half of your check <laughs> for a room and board. But uh, it gives you a little nest egg and an opportunity to get reintegrated into society. So while I was at work release, I met an officer, uh, Officer Davis, who was an independent wrestler known as Primetime Daryl D. And he used to bring in videotapes, um, show you yeah, how old I am, VHS tapes, of uh, indie shows that he would work on and uh, you know, pay-per-views and whatnot, because in the morning we weren't allowed to leave the work release center until 7 a.m. So once everyone finished breakfast, we'd be kind of milling about by the front door, you know, 6.30, 6.45, and he'd just put a tape in until the doors open. And uh, that's why I always felt like I was destined to become a professional wrestler, because well, the first time I got in trouble, when I was in the youth hall in Dade County, uh, Soul Man Alex G, who used to wrestle for Global Wrestling, he was part of the Soul Patrol. Uh, Rosier, who wrestled his Death Row, brought him in for career day. And that was the first time I met him. And I remember I was asking like, like you know, uh, how do you guys do this? And how do you-? but they were on some kayfabe shit back of then. Of course. You know? <laughs> and then, um, so fast forward all these years later, I'm in the Work Release Center and, you know, Officer Davis puts in a tape of him and soul man, Alex G mm-hmm. at a show. And um, it was funny cause he was doing like a Ric Flair type gimmick where he had on the suit and he slapped soul man. The soul man ripped the suit off of him. and And uh, I'm like, man, I know that guy, man. I met him before. And uh, so I started asking primetime questions. Like, man, how do you guys really do that shit without breaking each other's necks, man? And he said, man, I see you out there on the basketball court, man. You got some size, good-looking guy. You're athletic. He goes, if you want to learn, I'll teach you. I thought, fuck, I'm getting out of prison. I need a hobby, something to keep me out of trouble. And... You know, I've always been a fan. I was never like a fanatic. You know, I never had Mm -hmm. the toys or T-shirts or anything like that. But I grew up in Miami. My mom used to take me to the Miami Beach Convention Center when I was four. So I was always a casual fan. I liked wrestling. Never had any designs on becoming a pro wrestler. And uh, I said, all right, fuck it, yeah, sure, all right. And uh, when I got out, his prime time had a ring set up at his sister's house in the backyard. And then his luck would have it. Uh, he had to take his ring down, and he took me over to, uh, to Duke the Dumpster, oh. Drozzi's wrestling <laughs> school. And, uh, but Duke was never there. And I think, dude, I can honestly tell you, in the, in the time I trained there, I think I saw Duke half a dozen times. Um, but Soul Man Alex G was the head trainer. So this guy who I met when I was in youth hall many years before, who I saw again on a VHS tape when I was at, you know, work release. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was brought to him by this correctional officer who said, "Hey, you know, this kid just got out of prison and uh, he wants to become a wrestler. As a favor to me, would you train him?" I never paid a dime for wrestling school, so just as a favor. So I, you know, to this day, Primetime and I are we're a very close friends, and I, I credit him with literally saving my life because res- pro wrestling saved my life. If I hadn't gotten into pro wrestling, There's a very strong chance that I would have gone back to doing things that I shouldn't have been doing and would be dead or in prison for life, which may as well be dead. Well, you know, let me share this with you because we were talking before we started recording about Grand Theft Auto. And I, I told this story on my podcast and it's so unbelievable that, like when I look back And I think about the things that I've done. Like, people go, man, you spent 10 years in prison. You were just a kid. I'm like, dude, I got off lucky. Because if I got in trouble for all the shit I had done, there'd be no me, you know. And, you know, if anything, I got rescued rather than arrested. Mm -hmm. Hey, I was 15, stealing cars and, you know, just wilding out. And there was this, this girl who I liked. Her name was Tara, Puerto Rican girl. She was a bad girl too. She used to, you know, run the streets and get into trouble. And I met Tara through this girl that I, me and this girl kind of had a thing. It was never anything formal, but we liked each other. And but I was digging Tara way more than her. And Tara was digging me too. Come to find out, you know. So back then, I had my own phone. You know, again, forty-four. So some of you younger listeners, some of this shit is gonna be crazy. But I had my own telephone line in my room. Which back then that was hot That's shit. It's big. You know? yeah, yeah. big, yeah, well, my mom was like, if you pay for it, you can have it, you know. And the thing was, like, I always had a job. I all my mom instilled to me a, a very hard work ethic, which paid off for me in pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> I, I got home and on my answering machine, it, you know, there's multiple messages from Tara. Come hang out. Come hang out. Come see me. Come hang out. So I was like, all right. So I got a. At the time, my right-hand man, this this, this kid called Kango, and uh, my boy Raul, and I said, hey, look, we're going to go down south, south day, south Miami, and we're going to go hang out with these girls. And I'm like, yeah, fuck it, let's roll. So we get down there, and Tara, we go pick up her girl. Now, I'm in a stolen car, a stolen Mazda 626, I think it was. And then we go pick up this other girl, so there's three of us, three girls, you know, it's on and popping, playing music, we're having a good time, and uh, we were going to go to this mall. I'm not going to say the name of the mall, only because (laughs) when I tell the rest of the story, you'll see why. (laughs) But we went to this mall, and I remember, you know, I had a pocket full of cash, and I told Tara, like, yo, you want to get a hotel room tonight on the beach and hang out, you know, just you and me. And she was like, yeah, I'm down with that. You know, so I'm like, <laughs> bam, it's on. Like, you, you know. dog. Oh. And then I had been lusting after Tara for some time, you know. So we're driving through the parking lot of this mall, and, you know, music's playing with kids, wilding out, and I'm not paying attention. And I accidentally re- uh, rear-end this security truck no, just a bump, boom, you know, I'm like, oh, shit. So I, I'm trying to play it off, and I get out. The security guard's a young guy. I'm like, ah, oh, well, there's no damage to my car, none to yours, you know, so we should be fine, you know, let's just, you know, let this go. And he goes, well, oh, no, I have to report it. So now I'm trying to switch gears. I'm like, listen, man, I'm not supposed to have my dad's car. I'm going to get in really big trouble. Can you just let this slide? And he's like, no, sorry, dude, I, I, just, I have to call this in. So I get back in the car, <laughs> and Tara... She's like, yo, son, we got to go. I got a warrant. I got a warrant. You know? Cause I, She was a bad girl, too. She used to do her shit. So she had a, a, a warrant. She she was supposed to appear in court for something. She didn't go. So she had a bench warrant. So she was like, I got a warrant. So I punch it. And the security guard tried to jump in the way, and I, I hit him. I mean, he popped back up. He was okay. He kind of <laughs> rolled off the hood, you know. But I didn't know this mall. So now I'm like, and... Tara's like, Son, let me out, let me out, I got to get out, I got a warrant, I got to warrant. The girls are in the back screaming, and finally I just slam on the brakes, and I'm like, everybody out. The girls jump out, and Raul's bitch ass jumps out too. Like, you're <laughs> supposed to be one of the boys. I mean, how the fuck you jump out, you know? So I, you know, I, I turn a couple more curves, and, uh, and then I tell Kango, I'm like, jump out, man, just jump. I got this, you know? And all of a sudden, like, I see all these security vehicles, you know, converging. Were, I remember they were Cherokees. The security had mm-hmm. Jeep Cherokees with yellow lights on top, and I'm like, "Fuck! I'm not going to jail, man! I am not going to jail today. I'm not." So the first security vehicle tried to like box me in, and I just rammed into them. Stolen the car. It's not my shit. I don't give a fuck, you know. And uh, you know they keep trying to box me in, and I'm in a parking lot of a mall. So I'm trying to do a three point turn to go the other way and I'm smashing into parked cars as I go and I'm, I punch it again, I'm trying to get out of there and they had two security vehicles to block my way like about bumper to bumper. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm going for it. I punch the gas and I crash through. But unlike that stupid ass Fast and Furious bullshit, your car's not gonna keep running. You can't keep <laughs> driving your car, you know? I'm thinking I'm just going to smash through and keep going. No, that's not what really happens. <laughs> car. So I get out and I start running. And it sounded like Roman centurions behind me. I hear all these <laughs> security guards running behind me, running for life. Run across the parking lot. And every time I look back over my shoulder, I see there's a few less security guards, a few less. And then there's one security guard left who's keeping pace with me. And a black guy right so mm-hmm. he's fast and he's on point and just force of will i am not fucking going to jail today so i see this parking garage there's this major uh, avenue you know like maybe four lanes going each way and i said okay i'm gonna get across that and i'll go to that parking garage i'll lay up underneath the car until i can catch my breath and then i'll just snatch somebody out of their car i'll take a car and i get home this is my plan as I'm going across the median, a car literally drives up on the median trying to hit me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What the fuck is this, you know? So I get across the traffic, I get into the parking garage and it's empty. There's no one there. I'm like, fuck, I'm heaving now. Like, I, I can't breathe, I'm like, oh, fuck. Guy runs in the, car, the parking garage, get on the fucking ground right now, get on the ground. I'm like, dude, I'll give you money. Get on the ground. He doesn't have a gun, but he's ordering me on the ground. So I kicked him in the balls and I ran. <laughs> I darted out across this field and this field is full of big rocks and shit and I can hear like these rocks landing in the dirt around me. This guy's heaving rocks at me trying to hit me with rocks. So I think, okay, I'm going to run back across this avenue now and there's a, a Chili's or a Friday's or something. I'm going to go over there. Same plan. I'm going to snatch somebody out of their car. I'm going to drive away. But as I got there, I saw behind the Chili's there was a small office building that was under construction. I got. I need to. I need to breathe. I need to rest. So I jump the fence. I go in there. I grab a pipe, and I'm hiding in the stairwell because I think these guys are still after me. After a little while, you know, I catch my breath, and I go all the way up to the top floor of this building, and I look over, and I see where the where the mall is. There's just. It looks like a Christmas tree. There's just nothing but police lights everywhere. Wow. I look up, and there's a police helicopter in the area with the searchlight, and but I'm away somewhat. And then all of a sudden, I just started puking my guts out. Just everything. I, I can I literally see the pepperoni pizza. That I get, you know, everything came up. And then I, there was stacks of drywall from the building. I climbed up onto a pile of drywall, and I passed out. And I woke up. I don't even know how much longer. Maybe an hour or so. Like, completely passed out. And I woke up, and I looked over. And now it was much later in the evening. The mall was closed. And there were still a few parking, uh, a few police cars, but most of them had gone. And uh, I'm like, all right, well, I think I'm okay now. So I climbed down out of the building, and the girl who who had introduced me to Tara at the time, she and I had had a little heat, you know. But she was the only person I knew that lived Mm -hmm. in that area. So I creep back down out of the building, and I'm, you know, real calm and cautious, and I creep across the street to a little convenience store, and I get on the payphone, and I call uh, Teresa. And she said, yo, where the fuck are you? What the fuck? I just heard what happened. What are you, wait, I'm like, look, I'm stuck down here. I don't know where the fuck I'm at. Like, can I come, can I get your cab to your house? And like, yeah, yeah, come over here. Come over here. So she gave me the rundown because, you know, back then there were no cell phones mm-hmm. and all that. You, you had party lines and, you know. So <clears throat> Tara called her and, and told her what happened. Somehow Tara managed to get out of it. They said that they had just met me. They didn't know me. I was just some random guy, and you know, and uh, they. I ended up catching the cab to uh, Teresa's house, and she, you know, and she was, yo, what the fuck were you doing hanging out with Tara anyway? <laughs> and I was like, um, er, uh, and uh, funny thing was, my buddy Kango at the time was staying with me. My mom didn't know he was sleeping in my room. You know, my mom, you know. And uh, I paid a different friend of mine, gave him some money, and he actually drove me home. Because it was a good little drive from where I lived to where we were. And I get home, and Kango's already asleep in my closet. He beat me <laughs> home. I'm like, how the fuck did you? He went to, uh, I don't know, someplace, and did exactly what I wanted to do. snatch somebody out of their car, <laughs> took a car, and drove home. And uh, I never, I never got caught. I never got in trouble for that. That was, a, you know, one of the many bullets that I dodged. Just restitution alone for all the cars that I smashed would have been. I, I couldn't even tell you, man. I have no idea. Plus, the security guy that I hit, and and, and I, the guy who I kicked in the balls was an off-duty cop. Turns out, I found out after the fact. Mm-hmm. So, and I said all that to say this: now, at forty-four with all that I've been through and all the things I've done, you know, I I say, man, I'm playing with the house's money. Like, I should have been dead a long time ago for all the crazy shit I've done. So, you know, when people talk about me being a WWE superstar, a global wrestling star, you know, redemption, social redemption, for me, has a completely different meaning than it does for most people. And that's why I'm so socially active, and it's why I take time to to uh go to juvenile delinquents and, and talk to them I'm um, in Texas you know I, I, I actually frequently go to the various uh satellites for the Huntsville prison to give motivational speeches for their, That's their great. yeah they uh, they had a speech and debate thing where it was like the convicts against the coeds, and uh I, they asked me to be one of the uh one of the judges and I was very proud that the convicts beat the code <laughs> you know, they, they beat the kids from Texas and and I was, I, you know, I was the 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 the, the, the tie breaking vote, which was pretty cool, but, um,
1: and now being a father,
0: you know, thinking of all the crazy shit I did, it, I'm hoping will allow me to be a much better role model and uh, have insight to keep my son from. Doing the stupid things that I did, you know, and it's also why I think I, I tend to have a little bit more patience when I run into young knuckleheads because it's hard to find a young knucklehead who was dumber than I was. As intelligent <laughs> as I was, the dumb shit that I did, you know. So um, being here now, you know, being MVP and you know walking down streets in countries that you know I, I've never you know been to and people know who I am is uh, you know is a, a very rare success story, and that's part of why. As I said, it just means so much to me to be able to give back and to go into those inner city communities and then tell my story and tell people, listen, believe in yourself. Don't let anybody tell you what you can't do. Figure out what you want to do and then have a laser beam like focus and do it. Because by all rights, I shouldn't be here. And I'll always say this, you know, when I asked to leave WWE to go uh, realize my dream of wrestling in Japan, I will always respect Vince McMahon, regardless of the fact that I might not necessarily agree with his business, uh, the way he chooses to run his business sometimes, or, you know, with political affiliations. He gave me an opportunity when society wouldn't allow me to have a minimum wage job because I was a convicted con, you know, criminal. Vince McMahon gave me an opportunity to become a fucking wrestling star. And, uh, for that I'll always be grateful and, you know, I, I feel like for all the things that I've done, even though I've officially paid my debt to society, um, I still have a debt to pay, you know, and I'm gonna continue to pay that debt by using my celebrity to try to keep other kids from making the decisions I made and to try to help convicts understand that when you get out of prison, you don't have to go back. You know, it's not gonna be easy, but you don't have to go back.
1: That will do it for this week's SPLX podcast. Make sure to check out our new summer range, which has been restocked at suplexapparel.com. And also make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Suplex Wrestling. And as always, thanks for listening to the SPLX podcast.